eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. This is the Skate Podcast on WEEI.com. Bobby Orr, behind the net, the Sanderson, Bobby Orr! For the first time in 39 years, the Boston Bruins have won the Stanley Cup. Talking Bruins and NHL. Sure, old-time hockey. Like it is sure. With writer and producer Brian DeFelice. Brian DeFelice is an emerging talent. Bridget Prue. Yeah, he's a little bit on the hot seat. Burn him! And WEEI.com Bruins writer Scott McLaughlin. Oh, hey, Scott! Lace him up for some bees talk right now. I'm not gonna suck! It's the Skate Pod on WEEI. All right, kids, welcome into episode 66 of the Skate Podcast. I'm Brian DeFelice, joined by Bridget Prue and Scott McLaughlin. And uh, a couple of Bruins games since we last spoke, um, two wins over the Sabres and over um, the Sharks over the weekend. Uh, but before we dive into those and the upcoming slate of games for the Bruins, I'm going to throw it over to Scott because uh, there's been some news that's broken in the NHL over the last like 24 hours and Honestly, he's going to fill me in live as well because I haven't really been keeping up with uh, social media today. Um, so, Scott, if you want to take that away. Sure. Well, so big news broke Tuesday afternoon. The independent investigation into the Chicago Blackhawks uh, sexual assault scandal. Um, the results of the investigation came out. And this all stems from uh, it was the spring of 2010 where. The Blackhawks video coach or video coordinator um, allegedly abused a, a player who at the time, uh, this was during the playoffs on the Blackhawks run to their, their first Stanley Cup, um, a player who was a member of the Black Aces who had been in their minor league system and had gotten called up. Um, and basically what the in- investigation and report concludes is that the Blackhawks basically didn't do anything about this for several weeks, for almost a month during the playoffs, because they didn't want the publicity. They didn't want bad news coming out during a Stanley Cup run. Um, There were high-ranking members of the organization who were in a meeting 
uh, where they got the reports of what had happened. Um, and it seems like it should have been on uh, John McDonough, who was the team president at the time, to report it to HR. It really never got there. Once it finally did, HR basically gave Brad Aldrich, uh, the video coordinator, the option to undergo an extensive investigation or resign. He chose to resign, and that was basically the end of it. Like, they didn't do anything else from there. Which, those are clearly not equal options. Like, nope. they're, you're just going to let him go on and probably continue to do this somewhere else, which he did. Yeah, which he did. He so, ended- you're not holding him accountable. You're not letting anyone know what actually went on. You're not. That's not going to satisfy people who were affected by his assault. So, it, it doesn't make any sense to me that this was just, you know... You, you can go. I think that that's probably the option that Blackhawks management wanted him to take. Yeah, I think clearly people in the Blackhawks organization hoped that this would never get out and, you know, would just go away. And for basically 11 years, it did. Like, they they were right about that for 11 years. But as we've seen with so much of this stuff, you know, people have followed any of the Me Too movement, like... The stuff is going to catch up to you eventually. It's it's going to come out. And Penn State, they, and they Washington got football team, like you can Catholic Church, like you can just go back in time and just see, like yeah, sometimes it took a really long time to find out, but it it came out, um, and they had to know it was going to come out. There are so many people that knew about it, whether they were the ones reporting it, heard of it, or were in charge of you know reporting it, but but didn't end up doing their job. This kind of stuff, especially now that it's more acceptable to to step forward um, and you feel more comfortable and that you're not going to be the one that's criticized for it. Um, it was obviously this is the kind of time where it would come out. It makes sense that it eventually did. So it's just it's it's awful. And it wasn't just one person that Aldrich was um, assaulting. So and then to let him be able to continue it. It's just it's awful when you think that's probably the worst part of this to me. Is like, yeah, the Blackhawks didn't report it, and that's not fair to the people that were assaulted originally in the report. But then you let him go on, and you you let him walk and do this to more people, and that's the most disgusting part. Yeah, so Aldrich ended up with jobs with a couple different college teams and also a high school in Michigan. And he ended up um, charged with an assault of a... Uh, of a high school player at that high school. So to your point, yeah, it, the Blackhawks, you know, basically swept it under the rug, let, said, okay, you're done in our, our organization, but let him go on living his life. You know, none of this ever came out. And he did continue until he finally got caught by, you know, by police, really. Um, as this relates directly to fallout of this today, uh, Stan Bowman, general man- longtime general manager of the Blackhawks, uh, has resigned from both the Blackhawks and the 2022 U.S. Olympic team, which he was also general ma- set to be general manager of. Um, so both of those teams are now conducting searches for their next general managers. Uh, there are two other people who are still prominent in the NHL who, according to this report, were in the room. Uh, at the time that the Blackhawks received this report in 2010 about what had happened. Um, and both of them 
denied any knowledge of it until as recently as this past year when the lawsuit was filed. And those two people are Joel Quenville, who was the coach at the time and is now the coach of the Florida Panthers, who, by the way, the Bruins face Wednesday night. And because of the timing of all this, like, the the question is, you know, is because of the backlash is, is heading in his direction and the timing makes it seem like, well, is it really the smartest thing if you're the Florida Panthers organization to let him continue and, and head, you know, head to this game and, and coach in this game, especially with the extra scrutiny that's going to be around that. When I read the names, and especially when I read Joe Quenville's names, I kind of got like shivers because it just made me so disgusted. And it just made me, it, it obviously changes your complete understanding and perspective on him and what he did. And just, you just can't look at him the same way. And I have a feeling that a lot of people had the same reaction as I did. And it's a bad look for the Panthers, potentially enough to get him um, to maybe to resign as well. Yeah, and and so the other notable name is Kevin Chevaldeoff, who was in, in the Blackhawks front office at the time and is now the general manager of the Winnipeg Jets. So um, what has been what has come out since is that NHL Commissioner Gary Bettman is going to be talking to both Quenville and Chevaldeoff. Um, Bettman's statement said he's reserving judgment until he has those conversations. So I guess we'll see how that goes. And that probably that I think that buys the teams a little bit of time to say, well, we're going to see what the commissioner does first, and which they don't have to do. By well, the way, they, they could step up now and say, owners, you know what, we're we're yeah, done. We're ownership. You're done. Whoever you know, it's like we already have enough evidence in our mind that this isn't a good look for for our organization. This is this is you know not something we want to be associated with and keep you around with everyone knowing that we now saw all of this information that's come out. So, uh, yeah, you're right. It doesn't have to be the commissioner to step in and say, hey, we don't want this. Per-. I mean, think about Antonio Brown. Uh, Kraft came in, and once the allegations against Antonio Brown came out and said, no, like, we're done with this guy, and, you know, the commissioner's exempt list came later. Right. And, um, yeah, and... The Panthers and Jets, I guess we shouldn't assume anything, but it seems unlikely that they knew about this at the time that they hired those guys. So, as of now, like you can get out of this looking fine. You can also completely mismanage it from here and not do anything or sit on the sidelines, and now this becomes a whole PR thing. So, we'll see what happens. I think, it, you know... Look, this podcast is going to be posted Tuesday night leading into Wednesday morning. It's entirely possible that within a few hours of this going up, uh, yeah, because Quenville could be out. Yeah, because he wouldn't you want to do it if you're going to do it before he had media availability, which would happen tomorrow? Yeah, that, that's another thing. Like, is, is he going to have it? Is he going to answer questions? Like, yeah, a, a lot of uncertainty right now. And, you know, again, just tying this to the to the Bruins like they're in Florida they're facing the Panthers Wednesday night and there's just a lot of uncertainty around that team now because of Quenville's connection to this report yeah I mean I think you know you guys have kind of said everything that I would I would articulate anyway so um I echo everything you guys have said um curious to see how it all shakes out uh i think you know bowman uh stepping down from from the blackhawks and usa hockey is pretty telling i mean that's you know that's something yeah that that's you, true that's something we haven't even mentioned yeah. is his association with team usa 
Well, I think Scott may have, you said it briefly. Oh, did you bring yeah, it up? He, he did briefly, but like that's that's something that you dream about if you, you know if you're if you're a hockey guy or hockey mind, like to be able to you know be in the front office for Team USA during the Olympics and what is probably their most talented group of players and you know maybe since like the mid nineties or and it's whatever. so close. What's that? The Olympics. Yeah, yeah, it's it's really close. Um, you know, as far as the Panthers, like when it came to hiring Joel Quenville and knowing back then, I mean, if the Panthers, if the Panthers knew. Then it's probably likely that, likely that it was known throughout the league, and that to me, that's kind of a, a dark mark on the league more well, so than just the Blackhawks, because everybody kind of may have known about it. But also, it may have just been some of the Blackhawks that knew about it, not anybody else. So um, it seems like it didn't real like it, it didn't come out until more recently. But Quenville has denied it when when now this report shows that he was in the room where this meeting occurred. So you already know. Like, you can't trust what he's saying about this. So what, whatever the commissioner thinks he's going to get out of this, like, he lied about it once. What What's he going to say? Is he going to say, yeah, I'm guilty, and then, like, right, obviously like, leave? Now, now he can't even break out the, like, well, I thought other people are going to handle it, or, you know. No, he can't. I reported it to a subpoena, which, by the way, is, like, what Stan Bowman did in his statement, which I thought was pretty cowardly. Like, he resigned, and on his way out, he basically threw McDonough under the bus, which may very well be, like, how it played out, but at the same time, you're you're the general manager, and you've got to take some responsibility. Like, Aldridge was allowed to remain around the team for the remainder of that playoff run and through Stanley Cup celebrations. Like, he was, like, at their parties, at parade, all that stuff, and it's like... So, if you're, if you're the general if you're Bowman, okay, even if you did report it to your superior and thought they were taking care of it, at no point over those next several weeks did you think, hey, that's kind of weird that that guy's still around. Like, you didn't think to follow up, like, hey, are we doing anything about this? Has anyone done something? Like, Or to worry at no. all that it, that so, like, it could I'm not, just I'm not, snowball? I'm not familiar with the details or the timelines, really. I'm just kind of going off of what you've said so far. But, like, you know, the players that, that um, you know, were allegedly sexually assaulted or whatever, like, they... Did they speak up like right away, or was it like an after the season type thing, or like like is it known that this stuff was going on? Well, did, it was reported people... during that season, yeah, and then so he was the, allowed to stay. The player, the player who's, who was who, a, who was anonymous, correct? Anonymous, yeah, anonymous. still anonymous. Yeah. Um, yeah, he reported it very shortly after it happened, and then it seems like it slowly got to different people okay. from there, much slower than it should have, obviously. Yeah, and didn't get to the team's human resources department until after the season was over, which is, you know, about as damning as anything here. And, like, and definitely intentional. Yeah, for sure. Right, because they, they, you know, depending on how good your human resources department is, because obviously we've seen places where, you know, we've seen situations where HR departments are part of the cover-up. But yeah, in this HR case, departments can be there to legally protect the organization. Yeah. But in this case, it, it never even got there. So even if even if they had an HR department that would have handled it responsibly, which obviously they didn't because there was no investigation done, but there wasn't even an opportunity for that to happen during that playoff run because they just didn't bother to report it that far. Um, yeah, no, it's, a, it's a shitty situation all the way around. Um, so I, I guess before we hop, hop into the Bruins, if we're talking league news... Did you want to jump into some of the slow starts for some teams? Um, you know that we we anticipate and anticipated before the season would be some of the front runners. Um, you know, I chose uh, 
No, I chose the Maple Leafs again. I think Bridget did as well to be to be regular season darlings, not not postseason contenders necessarily. Um, but they haven't even gotten off to that type of start. They they seem, you know, they seem very not even one dimensional because Austin Matthews just got his first goal of the season last night after missing the first game or two. Um, but you know, but yeah, you're paying Mitch Marner, John Tavares, and. Austin Matthews, like $35 million, or whatever it is between the three of them. And I think you're starting to see uh, a lineup that it's just not very well built outside of, of those play, uh, players. Well, you know, Nylander's playing well. Um, but so they're struggling. Tampa's struggling. They obviously lost Nikita Kucherov um, for quite some time. Now we don't know the exact time frame. Um, and that always raises eyebrows, right? Yes, <laughs> it, raises it does. A few eyebrows it does. Again. It does. But, they, but that's a team... That has already played a lot of hockey the last year and a half, winning two cups, but they also had to rebuild their entire bottom six, and now you're losing your top player. You know, last year they had... But no... they can... Okay, just to stop you for a second. They yeah. can rebuild their bottom six at the trade deadline if they don't have Nikita Kucherov's contract on the salary cap. So, like, do they yeah. really have a bottom six problem? Maybe not. It depends what well, they try to do. I mean, you know, it's not like... Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I mean, come trade deadline, you'd be really fortunate to find the exact players that you're looking for. I mean, it's it's not. It, yeah, but they'll they have, they'll have the flexibility. They'll, they'll, they'll have the presumably they'll have the cap space, but um, you know, they, my, but they'll have some issues. You know, the next few months. Um, the difference is last year they had no Kucherov, but they had the best third line in hockey and a really good fourth line. Um, they still have Vasilevsky who's struggling. Uh, their defense is still good, but um, you know, so they've struggled. Colorado, as Scott mentioned earlier, they've got off to a slow start. Some teams have got off to surprisingly good starts, like Buffalo, um, San Jose, San Jose. You know, teams that we fully anticipate. Um, By the way, f- four, four, possibly five straight games for the Bruins against undefeated teams, which is yeah, yeah. Now again, Buffalo and San Jose, you know, yeah, <laughs> take it easy. There, undefeated Scott. with quotation marks, but <laughs> take it easy. <laughs> just, just kind of an odd little yeah. scheduling thing, yeah. and it kind of feels like most of the most of the teams the Bruins have played this season, not not including Philadelphia, have been so flat to start the game, and and really took a little bit of time. To, to get going, like San Jose wasn't successful really until the third period and Dallas came out super flat. So, yeah, I mean, Buffalo and San Jose were undefeated, but they did not look like a team that should beat the Bruins. By the way, this is just uh, an aside, but um, I was reminded once again this weekend of no matter how obvious you think sarcasm is on Twitter, <laughs> someone is going to take it literally. Oh, what did you get? Did you get in trouble, Scott? Yeah, I, I tweeted that. Uh, I tweeted something about how Bruins beat Sabres and Sharks, two undefeated teams in back to back games, clearly proving themselves oh, yeah, against I the NHL's that. best. <laughs> and like, and, like yeah. there were two what people. There were like two several responses that were like, "You cover hockey, the Sabres and Sharks are gonna stink." You know what's funny? Like, I I, I really? saw that. I saw that tweet, Scott. And I said to and myself, "He was one of the guys who said you got to be kidding <laughs> yeah. me." Uh, no, I saw that tweet, and I was like, "I was like, I obviously, with my eyes closed, knew that Scott was being sarcastic, but I knew that somebody was gonna, uh, or people were gonna, gonna not take it that way." Yeah, what can you Which, even do? Do like point, the winky like, face emoji or the laugh emoji? Like, no. I mean, Twitter's a cesspool. It's a joke. Oh yeah, it's, no. It's, I, most of my comments are like, yeah, obvious. Like the Marshawn article I had the other day, like. About how like the top lines play has allowed a little bit more leeway for the bottom nine to kind of get their feet under them, and people were like, "This is obvious." It's like, okay, guys, like there was a lot more information in there that you clearly did not care about. So you know, just taking a quick look at the Eastern Conference and like the the landscape right now, and again, 
six games. I'm gonna go with Chris Traeger. You know, you ever watch uh, Parks and Rec? Uh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Six game literally means nothing. Okay, <laughs> but it and is Perkins. Uh, yeah, and Perkins. Um, but it is, it is funny to see. Uh, you know. Um, the Red Wings, the Sabres, getting off to, you know, good starts. Um, conversely, you know, the Islanders and the Metro, not the fastest of starts. Still 3-2-1. Um, Carolina's 5-0. and Caps are 4-0-2. I mean, it's just, it's what you'd expect. It's a, it's a bunch of teams that have played a handful of games that are all doing decent. Um, but what's funny is the teams that have a bit of a winning record are the teams that suck. And the teams that have a losing record... Um, are the teams that we expect to be, you know, towards the top of the well, Eastern Well, except Conference. for Florida. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, yeah, Florida's for sure. They're for real. Well, um, let me ask this. They may this. have a coaching issue soon, but... <laughs> yes, they yeah. could. Um, let me ask this. Do you... Th- I mean, like, how much do you chalk these weird, like, standings up to just teams not being ready All to compete yet in, in oh. this early part of the season? All of it. This yeah. is this is what happens every single regular season, r- real regular season. The first, the first month is... Um, it, it literally, it's, yeah, the points count the same as they do in April. But as far as, you know, um, uh, as far as the merit goes in, in, in the games won and the team's records, they you can't put any ounce of merit on any of them because, except unless there's a good team that you expect it to do well, that's doing well. But, like, for the most part, Everybody's got new rosters, new teams. It's it's they're back to old travel schedules, old divisions. Some of these teams haven't played each other in you know eighteen, twenty months, whatever it's been. So um, it's a shit show, essentially, is one way to put it. Um, you know, we're four games in for the Bruins, right? Yep. I was hoping at least after by this point, I would have a, a handful of games to kind of see their lineup, but we've only had one. Uh, because they've been injury, they've been injuries up front to Craig Smith and Nick Foligno, seemingly out of nowhere. Curtis Lazar narrowly avoided season-ending surgery out of left field for, on his elbow, and uh, so that is kind of concerning a little bit. But because of these reasons, um, we've we haven't seen really the Bruins' ideal lineup that they had on opening night. Um, so it's and, still and tough will, to get a gauge on them. But like Brian, but the three will we and like when? <laughs> no, not really. And that's why like the preseason. Um, podcast you know we talk about line you know lineup projections and and this and that um but we said it then and we'll continue to say it's it's going to be forever changing i mean you never have a team go 82 games with the same lineup not even close so i think you know um that's why it's good that they're three and one um we haven't seen Sanika in the position we thought we were going to see him in fourth line Um, maybe scott you want to jump on that because i know you didn't really love his usage yeah so I was, I think, probably like anyone, was surprised when Sunday came. And there's two openings on the top nine, which we thought it would only take one for him to get a shot there. Um, he's called up, and he's on the fourth line. And he stays on the fourth line all game uh, between Frederick and Kuhlman. He gets zero offensive zone starts, only one offensive zone faceoff. So it's this typical fourth line defensive role. Um, and I was just surprised because Bruce Cassidy said before the season that he felt like that wasn't really the ideal spot for Staniga, that he was a better fit in a top nine role. Um, I'm writing something for, for Wednesday morning. Ooh, teaser. That's right. I'll that's what, reading. that's what we do in this business. I don't, I don't know what kind of teaser is that horizontal or vertical <laughs> or 
three dimensional. I don't know, but anyways, um, di- diving into it a little bit more because since Sunday, while I while my personal preference would still be to put Stanik on the second line and drop Noshek back down. Um, I understand it a little bit more. And I also, I asked Cassidy about this after Tuesday's practice and Hell yeah. the tough questions. I mean, he got, he got heat. yeah, he got a few questions about it, but, um, you know, I think Cassidy just likes the way Noshek has played so far this season. And by the way, I can't blame him because I think Noshek's off to a pretty good start mm-hmm. and him with Hall and Coyle in, you know, a fairly small sample size over two games has played pretty well. It hasn't lit the world on fire or anything, but um, they've outshot opponents 12-5. to 5. They've doubled up the opponents in scoring chances. Uh, expected goals 4% just 79%. Like, really good numbers that show you, okay, that's been a pretty effective line. So I can understand why Cassie would say, well, you know what? Like, yeah, that line might not last. Like, that might not be sustainable long term. But while it's clicking, why mess with it? You know, make... Makes Tanika earn it. Like, you know, wait for something to kind of force you to make that change. And Stanika on the fourth line, again, he wasn't really put in offensive situations, so I have a hard time, like... No, he was actually... He actually spent more time, like... He spent a, a minute on the penalty kill, a lot less than he spent on the power play, which he got 18 seconds on the power play. Yeah, he was he was playing a more defensive role. Maybe that's a test. Yeah, and I think it, I think it is, because Cassidy said this Tuesday. He was... You know, was asked about. I asked him about Stanika. <laughs> Take full credit. No, no, no. Um, <laughs> but I asked him like what he thought of Stanika on the fourth line, and he said like, "Look, that's a role. You know, he's gonna have to be able to do that. Um, he's gonna have to be able to handle defensive situations and handle you know potentially shifts against other teams' top line or second line because now you go on the road and." The lineup's a little in flux, as I think Brian touched on earlier. Curtis Lazar could be back either Wednesday or Thursday. Um, so that, you know, at that point, either Stanika or Oscar Steen probably comes out. But now you go on the road where the other team has last change, and they could try to get the Barkov line out against Stanika and take advantage of that. So, you know, Cassidy wants to see Stanika be able to handle tougher assignments like that. And, you know, on Sunday, not that the Sharks are the greatest test, but I thought that line was solid for what it was being asked to do. Like, it, it I thought they defended pretty well. So, not even just the Stanika thing, the, the Nosek thing, like, choosing him to be your second-line center, when there were, there were a few options that could have gone there, and I wonder what went into that decision. I think part of it, you're not going to move Hall off the third line center because I, I'm guessing the reason is because of the chemistry that he he wanted to grow there um, between DeBrusque and Halla. That's my best guess. Um, moving Coyle over to right wing, he didn't have to do that either. Um, but And then, like we mentioned, Studnika staying on the fourth line. So he had, I would say, three to four options that he could have gone with. He goes with Nosik. They got the results they wanted. So I'm okay with that. That sticking like that until, like we mentioned, maybe Stanika, he just wants a little bit more time with lesser minutes in a less like high-pressure situation to really show show that he can handle it, prove himself a little bit. I, I would be very surprised if eventually he didn't end up there. 
uh, as just getting a tryout a uh, few games in, in the near future. But I I like the move for Nosek mostly in hindsight, just based off the results that ended up getting them. Yeah, and it got him his first goal as a Bruin. And I, I find a Nosek move to, to that line, not that he's the same player, but I feel like the Bruins going to use Nosek throughout the year, similar to how they used Riley Nash when he was with the Bruins. Um you know, when if Bergeron went down for a few games, they would put Riley Nash between Marshian and Pashnak, full well knowing, you know, that was not a, a season-long thing. And I think that same goes for Nosek, um, whether it's uh, Stanika or Coyle. But they just, he has that Swiss Army knife um, versatility to him, and I think the Bruins like that about him. And so, um, yeah, so he gets on the board uh, in Buffalo. Uh, his first of the, as a Bruin, nice, nice play from... Uh, from Hall to Coyle, again, seeing some chemistry a little bit building between them. Um, Pashnak got his first of the year, um, which was huge. I think we all kind of last podcast expected that. I think we last recorded the night before the Buffalo game, or two nights before, but yeah, we yeah. all kind of anticipated that top line getting some some points. Um, you know, Taylor Hall gets the empty net, stares at the crowd, which is great. Um, and, oh, Coyle scored as well uh, on the power play. So, again, uh, I think Coyle, I think Hall and Coyle are third and fourth on the team in scoring after six games. I think one of them's tied with Bergeron. Um that's great. So I mean what did you what did you like out of um out of the Buffalo game, Scott? Maybe with with, with Coyle in particular and Hall. Um yeah, so I thought that line so Craig Smith had a brutal game. Uh, Do we know what his in what's his injury by the way? Because he was hurt at the end of the playoffs last year and is it connected at all? I don't know. They we don't haven't really, specified. Yeah, we really don't have much information on it. But, um, yeah, because he had missed practice Thursday. So that was, like, the first indication that something was off. Then he played Friday, but quite frankly just looked horrible. Whether he was on the second line or the third line, I would say without question the worst game he's played as a Bruin. So you kind of knew something was wrong. Um, and that's when they made – because Noshek started that game on the third line and then moved up once they moved Smith down. And that's when he got on the second line. And I think it was either his first or second shift that he scores that goal. Um, and Hall and Coyle both assist on it. So It was a pretty play, too. Yeah, definitely. Um, and he kind of started with the entry, and then he goes hard to the net and is, is there for the tap-in. Um, so I like that line from there. It, you know, and, and it was a, a switch that needed to be made, and I thought they... The Noshek Hall Coil trio performed pretty well, and that's again part of the reason that I think Cassidy kept them together for Sunday. Even though now you have Staniki in the equation, but I think Cassidy saw, you know what I I like what I see here. I'm not going to change it until they give me a reason to. Um, the third line, so then Smith drops down to the third line when that move happens, and then that line struggles. And again, it's how much of that is because Smith was clearly hurt. Mm. Like, you know, I don't know if you can really put much on Hall and DeBrusque. I don't expect them to carry a wounded animal on the right wing. Um, so, you know, that was a tough game for them. Uh, and then I thought, you know, I thought Sunday, I thought I thought every line was pretty solid at, yep. at, at the very least. So Oscar Steen gets the look on that third line um, with Hall and DeBrusque. And and I thought he played pretty good. It didn't jump off the page. It didn't make me think like, oh, he has a play who needs to stick around. 
but did what he needed to do. And and, and he looked okay in the in the preseason as well. So yeah. so there was some work that he put in and some trust he gained through that. And so he gets to so the the issue is Felino out and Smith out. You're having a huge uh, right wing problem. Yeah, and that was all. I would say, like, of the three forward positions, that was their thinnest to begin with. Then you take out your number two and number three right wing, and, yeah, and that's why you bump Coyle out, because he's probably a little more comfortable there than Noshek or Hala. You know, at least he's the right shot. Um, then you have Steen and Kuhlman behind him. Now you have Lazar coming back at some point in the next couple of days. and Is Froden a righty? He's a righty. Yeah, Froden is. He could be an option. I mean, he 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 was a big standout all preseason yep. and in the rookie camp, and they were using him in all situations. And I, um, you know, I think that I I think he got a serious look. I just think it was a it was a depth thing. And um, but I I certainly anticipate them giving him a strong look. Um, you know, if injuries continue to be a problem on that right side. Yeah, I think that they probably want to get him a little more seasoning in Providence and have him you know play some professional games in North America. Yeah. Um. Whereas, you know, Steen probably has a little bit of a leg up in that he already got into the NHL at the end of last season and played well in that final game against Washington when it was yeah. basically the Providence Bruins against the Capitals. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that that probably gives him a little bit of a leg up for now. But, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if, if Froden were to get a chance at some point. But, again, Lazar coming back helps a little because now you can either put him on the wing, which is where he was going to start the season anyways originally, or, you know, maybe he goes to center, but I get the sense that they'll probably start him on the wing, uh, in part because he's just getting back from an injury, and obviously center's going to be more work and, and more physically taxing, so maybe you start him on the wing for, for that reason as well, make it a little bit easier on him to kind of get back into things. So you take Kuhlman out, is what you're saying? Uh, or do you, I think or it's do probably going to be Kuhlman Steen. The, yeah, so yeah you Kuhlman Kuh- maybe Kuhlman line. moves up, yeah. Yeah. Because Coleman actually, he's played all four games and he's looked okay. He has one of the one of the team's goals, and he he's a very offensive minded player. He's not afraid to shoot the puck, and I think that's something Cassidy is going to want to keep in the lineup. Yeah, I, I think Coleman's earned, earned, earned a spot so far um, for sure. I think he he always plays with energy and effort, which is first and foremost if you're a coach, that's the first thing you're looking for. Um, I think he's good defensively. I think you know, like anybody else, he has his hiccups, but he 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 bring he brings he brings the effort, um, and that, and especially specifically in a fourth line role, that's 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 numero uno, right? Um, so yeah, Coleman's played four games. Someone who's played two games so far is uh, Linus Allmark, about to start his third consecutive game tomorrow night in Florida. What have you guys thought of his first few games? Um, you know, I thought that he had a couple leaky goals. Um, didn't love the the Victor Olofsson goal in Buffalo, and didn't love the uh, I don't know who it was in uh, the first goal of the game for San Jose though. The other night was brutal with a capital T. Um, but that said, I think the I think the second and third goals, I think they were both deflections. Um, yeah. You know, can't really fault him on those. But what have you guys thought of his his play so far? Definitely better than the preseason, um, but not perfect. To to your point. Uh, you know, I'd say one one goal he should have had in each game, um, which is better than like the two goals he should have had per game in the preseason. So, no, I think he's and, looked... and by the way, Swayman has had a few goals as well yeah. that he should have had. It so they're they're kind of on even ground when it comes to that. Yeah, and Swayman's going to have by the time he gets back in on Thursday, Thursday's game in Carolina, will have 
not played a game in over a week. His last star was Wednesday against the Flyers. So, you know, almost just kind of kind of like Allmark got sort of a reset between the preseason and you know going until game number three before he got a start. It's like Swayman gets a little bit of a reset here, and I think you'll see that from time to time throughout the season. Like, you know, we were wondering if the split would be. You know, they just alternate games, and Cassie kind of hinted that it wouldn't be that strict. And I, I think this might be more what we see, like where he's going to ride the hot hand. Whoever's, you know, if you if you play well like the previous game, then he might go back to you the next one and sort of uh, uh, maybe trade off. You know, almost like two starts, three two starts, st- yeah. It, it, like like so f- like so for example, if they go like Swayman was two, then it was all mark three, then it goes Swayman three all mark two. Yeah, and then or, or whatever, how how it would work itself out. I don't know, but I don't know if that's exactly how you want to go about it because, I mean, you don't want to have a pre-planned schedule per se because you definitely, as a coach, you want you want to go off instinct and gut and and yeah, like how's this guy feeling? Um, and and early on, right? They they don't have much, uh, you know, sample size to base a gut instinct off of. So that's kind of why you're gonna get. You're gonna see more of that earlier in the season. I mean, obviously, you yeah. can you can think, oh, maybe this guy's gonna go on a streak, but the they're they're still feeling it out. That that and they had a ton of time between games, whereas going forward, it's it's more of a rigorous schedule. Yeah, so that they've like one more awkward break coming. So they have three games in four days, and they have like another three or four day break, and then like then it finally gets into like a normal schedule. So you might see more rotation once. Once that starts, once they're actually playing every other day, and I think they have a few more back-to-backs coming up through November and then into December. So, you know, I would assume they'll split all of those. Like, I don't think... Generally, Cassidy doesn't like starting any goalie back-to-back nights anyways. Um, but, yeah, I think I think they're also at a point where, you know, part of the reason they could plan so far ahead with Rask and Halak and... Cassie had said, like, they would almost plan out, like, the whole season. Like, have a rough... And, you know, obviously you'd adjust if you needed to. But they basically had, like, an idea, like, months in advance of who was starting which games. And they could do that because they trusted Raskin Halak and they knew what they had in them. And they knew how those guys prepared and would handle it. And I think they're still figuring out how Elmark and Swayman are going to handle it and, you know, what's best for them. So they're not... To your point, like they're not planning that far in advance, and it's maybe at some point it does settle into every other game or something like that. But until then, I think it's going to be strictly just who do we think gives us the best chance to win tonight, and yeah. that's you know how they'll approach it. Can what? I can I bring up something that relates yeah. to that? Unless you have a, another thought on the goalies, no. so I think that the Bruins' defense has been playing really well out in front of them. It's hard to think of too many defensive breakdowns that they've had so far. Outside so, of the Philadelphia game? Outside of that, yeah, I kind of just, like, yeah. throw that throw that <laughs> one out. Um, uh, so, like, obviously that was that was a tough first mm. wave in uh, when, when those defensive breakdowns happen. But you look outside of that game and, and you kind of you, – you see a pretty consistent um, defense and they've been helping out the goal – I mean – I have to look it up, but in in most of the first periods of the games that they won, they've really barely allowed any shots. So like they were they were playing solidly, and the offense was keeping them on the other side of the ice for most of the game. So we've still kind of yet to see Allmark face like a heavy load. Um, besides in the third period of the game against the Sharks, 
Yeah, and and as we mentioned, now again, a couple of deflection goals, but the Sharks did break through when they got that pressure. So, um, you know, I guess if like if you wanted to put some of that in the defense and say maybe they could have done a better job tying up sticks, but even that, like, I didn't think, I didn't think those goals were like, oh man, like that's really poor defending. Guys in a position, it was just like, look, you know, sometimes there's bodies in front and guys get good deflections and there's not a ton you can do about that um well here's the thing in the second period of that sharks game Olmark only faced five shots so yeah. like that's a very small volume for per period yeah and bruins have had yeah, to your point i've had a couple periods like that which speaks to you know generally pretty good team structure that isn't isn't giving up a whole lot even in that third period there were no shots for the for the sharks uh 12 minutes in, into that into that period and then all of a sudden you know there was kind of a more of a barrage at the end but um a lot of that game was was a very solid defensively played game and so i don't know if you want to say you know maybe all mark was getting cold or if you want to say he wasn't getting you know his his full workload but we haven't quite seen him get tested besides this pretty much even the second half of that third period against the sharks yeah, I think my, you know, my one like minor critique is, and this is a th- something that, you know, teams have to figure out early in the season is closing out games. Like I, I think you would have loved if after that, after the Sharks' second goal, if the Bruins had really turned up the heat and like gone back on the offensive, and you know potentially scored another goal or at the very least like pinned the Sharks in and said they kind of let the Sharks keep coming. And, you know, so, but again, that's one of those things early in the year, it it tends to happen. Like the Bruins hadn't really been in that situation yet, and they'll have to get better at saying, you know, okay, we're not, because the Bruins don't want to be a team that sits back and, you know, packs it in and blocks a bunch of shots when they have the lead. Like they tend, when they're at their best, they're defending a lead by attacking, by having possession and the offensive zone. So that would be, you know, one minor criticism I would have is like, you'll want to see more of that going forward instead of kind of getting caved in and running around your own zone a bit. Yeah. Playing on your heels is losing hockey. It's not, it's not really the kind of uh, NHL that is out there today. Um, You know, you, you, you bend, you oftentimes will break in this, in this day and age. Um, But, you know, as far as the goalies being tested, I think that, you know, Buffalo's not going to test you. You know, Dallas, you know, Dallas is okay. They have their they they definitely have their ceiling, but far too often they they just kind of don't really play to it. Um and then who else, you know, San Jose, San Jose's offense is not very good and who is the fourth game? Philadelphia certainly kind of, you know, put you on your heels a little bit. But coming up, you know, you got you got two against the Panthers. You got one against the Hurricanes. You have um the Maple Leafs, not too far behind them. You have the Oilers coming to town. Um, you know, so four of your next six, seven games against some high high offensive teams. Uh, one of those games is against Detroit, who was not one of those high offensive teams, but seemed to play well the last few years. So I think I think the Bruins will be tested more and more as we go along here, and the games will be in quicker fashion too. So we'll see just how good um, their defense is now that the season starts to get rolling. Through four games... What is one thing? Let's try to stick to one thing per person. Um, and I'll put you guys on the spot here, but that's okay. I'll do it to myself as well. 
What's what's one thing that you've learned about this team through four games? And it's been tough because it hasn't been the whole team, but like we said earlier, it might not be the whole year. Like it's going to be this seesaw of a lineup. I think for not just the Bruins, but every team goes through this. Um, so if you had to pinpoint one thing, what would you say you've learned through four games? Well, I think there's a few things, but like first of all, we've Bridget, kind I of said learned one thing. Well, Damn I'll it. start with this, and then we'll go to Scott, and we'll see if we can come back around to something else. But um, we've kind of gotten to to understand how the defense might shake out, and we've gotten to see Forbert and what kind of role he might play. Yeah, he. So, like, I've he been shut you up last game. I've been huh? pretty, I've been pretty critical of Forbert. Holy smokes! Um, yeah, he he was good last game, no question. And Scott dropped uh, a handful of popcorn when that puck went in. <laughs> Draw the floor. So, I'll say that Forbert was good, and I would say that goal was just about the least of it because that's that shot is not going in ninety nine point seven percent of the time. And, and he knows that, and he said yeah. so much post game. He said, "I was shooting for the stick." I mean, that goal wasn't even screened in the least. It was a no. clear shot of a muffin from the blue line. <laughs> what was that all about? Yeah. I'll take the two nothing lead, but Jesus. And uh, yeah, the, and the Sharks were supposed to have. Better goaltending this year, moving on from Martin Jones. Right. Um, right. So, you know, not sh- we'll see how that plays out for them. But um, it's not looking so good. But yeah, so I think forward is starting to settle in, and he's doing it on the third pairing, which is where I want him. You know, we we went over this last time, but I love the Grizzly McAvoy pairing, and I would just roll with that just about as much as possible. Um, but I think you saw like what Forbert can do in a third-pairing role, which is defend well and, you know, not make make mistakes in his own zone, which is, um, you know, that third pairing for the Bruins always has generally always gotten defensive zone shifts. They've always had more of a physical presence. Um, when they were starting the year with Grizzly and Clifton, it was like, oh, okay, that's, inter- like, that's a different look. That's something that isn't how Cassidy's usually used that pairing. And I, I thought now, it the, was the, ugly. I thought most of... I, I did not like that pairing at all. And I, a lot of the times I'm, I'm watching it, I'm like, this is not the optimal way to use Grizzlick in the lineup. Yeah, it was almost like, you know, like they wanted more balance between all their pairs. But it didn't work out like that. Right. Because so it's, it's just sometimes not a fit. Like, you know McAvoy and Grizzlick are a fit. But... Clifton and Grizzly were not, and it was it was ugly for me to watch. I thought I as soon as they moved him, I don't think they could have moved him quicker. Like I, they need to move Grizzly as quickly as possible, in in uh, my opinion. And you can you see a clear difference, right, Brian? Like yeah. you see the difference. It panned out. Well, I think I think uh, when it comes to a a well complemented deep pair, like Clifton and Grizzly, they both like to move their feet, and I just feel like that's like. Typically, a really cohesive defense pair like has one guy that moves their feet, and the other guy kind of stays back. But they both like to take chances with their feet, and so maybe that's kind of what um, you know leads them to not be the perfect uh, tandem. Um, but you know, as far as Forbert goes, like you know, we've said as much. I think every championship team has that kind of guy in their back end, just in the appropriate spot. Like you know, just like you need a strong fourth line center like, to win a Stanley. Like, you're not gonna every, every Stanley Cup team needs like a Gregory Campbell type fourth line center but you're not signing Gregory Campbell to be a second line center so or first line center for that matter like Forbert was asked to be with McAvoy but um yeah I, you know he's he, he's fine he's fine for for that role 
But when you ask somebody to go outside of what they're capable of doing, then you run into some issues. The the thing with with Grizzly and McAvoy, we've talked about it before, is just when it comes when push comes to shove, literally in the playoffs in a seven game series, you know that might not. It just it doesn't. It's not always the best to have all your eggs in one basket. No, but yeah. but the key was if you want. I mean, obviously McAvoy is the guy on defense. You want to optimize how he plays, you put him next to Grizzlick. Like, you want to get the most out of McAvoy, well, you put him next to Grizzlick. That It's not even, like, against Forbert or, or anything like that. It just... McAvoy and Grizzlick is a pair that is a dominant pair. With what you have, yes. With what you have, with yes. What you, yeah, exactly. McAvoy could certainly reach his ceiling with other people besides Grizzlick. They just aren't on the current defense core. Yeah, and I think, you know, optimizing can also go to where you're using those pairings because now you know it was admirable to try to have that balance between like one offensive guy one defensive guy on each pair i get the thinking behind that but now you can have grizzly mcavoy be your more offensive pair that's out with the top line and is going to spend a ton of time in the offensive zone and being on a third pairing just kind of by nature is going to be out more with the third and fourth lines. And as a result, that's going to mean more time in the D zone. They're going to face, you know, top lines, second lines, and you're going to have to do some defending. And to Bridges' point earlier, like Grizzly Clifton, it, you know, they, they can be an effective pair in terms of like puck retrievals and getting up ice quickly. But in those situations where they get pinned in, that's not really ideal. Like those aren't the, really the guys you want. Engaging in lengthy battles along the wall or in the corner, um, whereas Forbort can do that because Cassie has talked about how he he can end plays, and by that he means he's not going to go in there and get in like a long tie up in the corner. He's just going to knock the guy off the puck and you know and the g- get up the boards. Is, yeah, yeah, change the possession. Yeah, and I think you know Forbort is better equipped to do that, certainly than than Grizzly. If you you know if that's how you're using your pairs. And Forbort, despite his goal, is not equipped to be as effective in the offensive zone. So, you know, that that was my thing was when he was out there with McAvoy in the top line, it just, it was like, all right, but you you can have something better. You could have Grizzly there instead, and now you have a better five-man it, unit it was, offensively. It was like in slow motion. The, the McAvoy-Forbort pairing is in slow motion compared to the Grizzly-McAvoy pairing. Yeah, so I I like this lineup now. And R- with, Riley with... Carlo has been a consistent, uh, a consistent pair, which is not not really a surprise. Yeah, I thought. So I mean, Riley had the one bad game, and I thought I thought Carlo got off to a little bit of a slow start in the first game or two. Um, but they've definitely looked better the last couple of games, and you know, and looked pretty good last year as a pairing as well. So yeah, I think you definitely you like what you have there, and. They've generally been pretty consistent together. Well, so that's what I've noticed. Yes, and you know, with um, with 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 Carlo and Riley, they got a lot of length to them as a D pair as well. So you know, um, and they're both good skaters. You know, they aren't the, you know, they're they're not Sam Gerrard or Kale McCarr or McAvoy or Grizzly, <laughs> but they're good skaters for what, for what they do, and they possess good size yeah. and uh, and reach to disrupt plays at the, uh, at the at the neutral zone at their own blue line. Um, so yeah, they're a good pair. You know, I think for the for the regular season, I think McAvoy and Car- um, McAvoy and Grizzlick. I mean, w- when your schedule is you're just playing, you know, a different team every game, 
they're fine. They're fine. They the Bruins just got to figure out something when it comes to the postseason, and the postseason should still see a lot of McAvoy and Grizzly together. But they'll have to, like we said, they'll have, they're gonna have to address their personnel at some point in time to to bolster that back end. But for the regular season, I think the the pairs that we've seen the most of, which is McAvoy, Grizzly, Carlo, Riley, and Clifton and Forbert, I think you just stick with that. If you want to throw Forbert out there with McAvoy for a for a you know defensive zone draw at the end of it, whatever, do it. But by and large, they should they should stick with the pairs we've seen them do most of so far. Um, for me, the one thing I've learned about this team is that. And it's tough because, you know, well, on one hand, I've learned that they're a little, they're, they unfortunately are as fragile as I thought they were going to be. I mean, didn't take long for Felino to be out and Craig Smith. And, you know, those are two, those aren't just nobodies. Like, those are two guys that you, that you need in your middle six. So, you know, if their health is an issue all season, that's going to suck. But outside of them, let's go to the other side of the wing. Um, I love this team's left side. Um, I think you can put them up there as probably if you have Jake DeBrus playing the way he's going, he's done the first handful of games. Say he puts up 20, 25 goals and he's behind Martian and Taylor Hall. You probably have the top, you know, um, one, two, three punch down the left wing in the NHL. I would argue. So that's one thing I've learned is that the left side is great. I think for the longest time, you know, you think back to a few years ago when the Bruins went to the cup, um, you know, with 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 a second line of David Krejci, Jake DeBrusque, and insert someone here, whether it was David Backus or I don't even know who else was Dan. I don't even know who else they had in that line. They had a Rick Nash. I mean, they just had a. In hindsight, not yeah, not just, the greatest just, line. But they, it was always a carousel of guys. Um, Jake DeBrusque was a second line left wing on a Stanley Cup Game Seven team. Uh, so you know, was he playing above his pay grade back then? I don't know, maybe. Um, but you have him slotted as a third liner now, and I think that's probably where he should be, at least specifically behind Taylor Hall and Brad Marchand. So I, I've learned through four games that, barring any injuries, their left side is looking really good up front. And if you want to go a step further um, on the fourth line, who who's it been, Frederick? Yeah. He's looked who good, too. got so. into a tussle yes, last yeah. game. Yeah, a little nookie contest. <laughs> um, I would say... What I've learned is that this team is still going to have to rely on the top line to do a lot of heavy lifting offensively. Um, and that's maybe slightly unfair to jump to given the injuries up front. And we haven't, you know, we haven't really seen a consistent run with the lineup that they wanted yet. But that's, that's sort of part of it. To your point, there's guys on there with injuries and there's, you know, look at Nick Foligno. Like, there's no guarantee he's gonna be healthy for a long stretch. Um, you know, Craig Smith. You, you hope he comes b- back healthy when at, you know, hopefully it's soon. Um, but that's worrisome if he's now dealing with something further down the lineup. Curtis Lazar, I give him credit, but apparently he didn't get the memo of like speaking extremely vaguely about injuries. And only saying upper and lower body. Unless he was lying about the specifics. He, he just like straight up told us that it was an elbow subluxation, which <laughs> sounds pretty painful, and that like he was really close to getting almost season-ending surgery. Which we can assume was when he went into the net against yeah, Washington. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Was, it, was that preseason? Yeah, that was the final preseason game. Right. It, that play didn't... Yeah, it looked like a bunch of guys went into the net, but like... You couldn't really see something. It has to have been how he landed. Yeah. Like, you're right. Like, it was hard to... Because we... 
like I thought, like, did he hit his back on like the post as he went flying yeah. through the air? Did he hit his head somewhere? Um, but he must have landed on that elbow and like had mm. weight come down on it. Um, well, but it's like you. I mean, you hope he's fine from here, but I don't know. I was going to say, answer me this. If you almost had to have season-ending surgery, then how good could it possibly be coming back? Yeah, I think he's probably not going to be super comfortable for most of the season, to be completely honest. But but that doesn't mean he can't play through it and be effective. What is that? What you said? An elbow, what was it? An elbow what? Subluxation. Subluxation. It means it bent, was it too far outward? Yeah, it might... I don't know. Um... I'm not. I think shoulder subluxation. It usually means like it like popped out. So I don't. I, I guess I probably should have looked that up before. Yeah. But well, but either yeah. either way, like I don't because like, I know players who've had like shoulder shoulder subluxations. Yeah, partial it, dislocation. Yeah, like it tends to linger and it can easily happen again. I don't know if that's the same with an elbow. Like, is he now at risk of having that happen again? Is it going to linger? Um, I feel, I feel like you can definitely protect an elbow more than you can a shoulder. Yeah, I agree. Um, but, yeah. That's... But then it's like, but, you know, but if that affects a shot, like, yeah. you'd yeah, wonder yeah, about yeah, that, yeah. so. Yeah. Um, well, at, the good news is, um, you know, they do have an abundance of players that can go on a fourth line role if they need to. Um, yeah. That's the good news. But, you know, so just to, to finish off my point, like, Martian is off to an incredible start. Parsonak and Bergeron have gotten going. And that line can carry you to a lot of wins in the regular season. And they've done that for a long time now. So my concern there wouldn't really be about regular season because I think, you know, you're going to face enough teams that aren't great that they'll feast on. You can work matchups and, you know, get them into favorable situations. Um, But... I'm going to need to see more consistent scoring from other lines. And to Brian's point, like some of that's going to be driven, or maybe a lot of it will be driven from the left. You know, we've talked about Taylor Hall being able to drive a line. And on the and third line, he's offensively. Got, he's got three points. He's got two goals. Remember what his stats were in Buffalo last season? Yeah. Two goals. Yeah. So he's already way on pace to, to outproduce. His, you know, his 2019-2020 season and his, his time with Buffalo. And you you like what you see from him. It's like he hasn't slowed down from his his time in the playoffs last year. I mean, I think, I think for him, you're looking at 55 to 60 points. That, that's what you hope to get out of him. Especially if he's going to be on that first power play unit for most of the year. Um, I think that's there's no reason he can't do that over 82 games if he's healthy. 75 games, you know, whatever it ends up being, you know. If he can be like a... 0.75 points per game player for the Bruins, that would be, you know, pretty good for them. Yeah, so... I, my, my concern isn't about Taylor Hall. Like, I think he'll be fine, and he'll get his, but I want to see that that second line's offense is not going to just be Taylor Hall. Like, I want to see something more consistent, and again, injuries are robbing them of any sort of consistency right now, but... um once they get healthy, like Craig Smith is going to have to come back and play the way he did last year, and Coyle's going to, yeah, I think Coyle's been fine so far, but you, you'll need something from him too. And just one last little point about Taylor Hall, a little bit of um, stats 
His so his shot percentage last play uh, well not just last time with the Bruins last season in in his games with the Bruins was the highest it's ever been in his career uh, at almost seventeen percent and this so far he's taken he's taken eight shots and scored twice that's twenty five percent shot percentage so he's taking the right shots he's able to finish um and you gotta like what you see from him so far well if he, but the if, the numbers geeky me would all, would point out that that is due for regression so uh, well I understand that well, but but what what are you gonna say he's not having it like he's not having a good start like he's, no, he's, he's clearly on pace yeah. to have a much better season than he did the past few years with arizona and buffalo yeah i'll tell you what he's taking the right shots if he passed on that breakaway there'd be an issue yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um i mean look uh yeah coil played terrible against philly it's okay against Dallas. Um, hopefully that Buffalo game can can go a long way. I mean, you, you're seeing with DeBrus, for guys like DeBrus and Coyle that really struggled last year, for whatever reason. You know, if it, you get a couple points, um, you know, on the, on the score sheet to start the year, that it, it's a hell of a lot better than not for the, for, the, for those guys. You know, if, if you're going into mid-November and those guys haven't really scored yet, then it starts to become, you know, a monkey-on-the-back type situation. And, you know, they've already addressed that early on by both scoring a goal, um... DeBrusque has two. Uh, Coyle had a nice assist on no six goal in Buffalo. So, uh, in addition to his own power play goal, which you know, Marshan zips the puck pretty quick. That was not an easy necessarily, you know, shot to put home. It was a hard pass across the seam. So you have to collect that and then, you know, make a good play on that. So, you know, maybe, you know, it's funny. I, I keep seeing you know, David Krejci having fun over there in men's league in, in, in Czech Republic. You know, I I feel like he's gonna get pretty pretty bored over there soon playing in front of friends and family. It's pretty it's a little easy for him. He has like he has like fifteen points in like twelve games or something like that. But um until that becomes a reality or close to around here, we will not bring him up again. I promise. Until next podcast. But um <laughs> okay. yes, Coyle is playing well. Craig Smith is the wild card there. But like we talked about, he's once you get to few, he'll be fine. But is he healthy? Like, I, I don't know. Because I, I never saw a play again. It's when you don't see the plays happen during a game to be like, all right, that's when they got hurt. That's kind of when you worry. Because then it's like, well, it must be something that's nagging. And that's not, you know, she's going to go away pretty soon. Yeah, and the fact that he played a whole game through it yeah. and was clearly playing poorly. And yet, like, there was no head to the locker room, get looked at. There was no, like, pulling him out of the game. It was... It was almost like like Cassie kept giving him a chance to like try to play his way out of it, and he just wasn't capable of it. And, so. he, and he hasn't practiced since then either. Yeah, yeah, that's the frustrating thing. It's like you know he was he was um, you know listed day to day. He wasn't feeling great going into that Buffalo game, yet they still played him. And then he obviously doesn't play the next game. So it's like you know you should have just sat him out. You know it's it's a long season. It's a real long season. Um, I, I have one of the th- one of the Bruins topic I wanted to get to um, before you guys do your closing thoughts, but is it that this is episode number sixty six? Because you haven't you haven't gotten there yet. So. Huh? <laughs> that this is episode number sixty six? Or your fashion? Your, tape. your 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 fun fun numbers facts? Uh, yeah. It, there's I, never been a number sixty six. Yeah, history. I I didn't I didn't say that off the top mm-hmm. because because uh, I I don't think there was a sixty six Bruin unless it was back in the day. But anyway, uh, they posted a very important uh, video on Twitter today. Oh, very, I know what you're you know talking what I'm about. What's coming up next this coming weekend? Halloween. Um, Halloween. For those of you who don't know, my favorite holiday, my favorite time of the year. I love Halloween. What are you going as? I don't know. I got to figure that out still. I might go as a uh, WEI journalist. So 
May have to grab a Quite Seattle Kraken cool. hat. <laughs> so you're saying you're going as Scott. Grab your popcorn. And a thing of popcorn. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, so they put out this, uh, this this video on Twitter about candy corn. It's a pretty polarizing debate. Two, two part series now at this yes. point, by the way. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was funny. Uh, like Cassidy just gave such a like a such a solid answer. Like everybody's like, "No, nah, I don't like it." Yeah, whatever. And then Cassidy just gives such a good answer. He's like, "No, nah, I don't like it." It's like get stuck in your teeth. It's like it's true. That's why yeah. most people don't like candy corn. And, and the fact also, that it tastes, it tastes like, wax. like trash. <laughs> yeah, it tastes like wax too. Um, so anyway, you know, I'm not gonna put you guys in the spot with candy corn. You can like it or don't like it. I'm not gonna think of you any differently. I might not like you. But what would you say is the king of Halloween candy? I have mine. I do too. Do not copy me, but this I'm is, thinking of it. This is a no-brainer. Reese's. I'm gonna go with take five. Reese's close second. Take five. It's like a Reese's with a with... <laughs> take five. Take a lap. <laughs> That's a tough answer. Right <laughs> take there. five if you've never had it. It's, it's like it's just essentially a Reese's with caramel and like a like a crunchy like pretzel in it. Yeah. It no, is, take, it is good. It's take a, five is good. So it's, it's a little. It's a little too much. Reese's just simple. It's just got yeah. the, the perfect mixture, yeah. perfect combo. Yeah. Well, you know, you're both wrong. I, I appreciate your answers, but it's Kit Kat. Zero That's my doubt. number two. So it's zero dough. It's Kit Kat. I can't Follow, that. Followed by, um, I'll go, I'll go bunch of crunch, and I'll go. Uh, Bunch of, man, I haven't had a bunch of crunch. Well, we're not bunch. Bunch of crunch is the, is the little goo movie theaters. I'm, I'm in the uh, the crunch. Nestle crunch. The, bar. Yeah, but the little nest. Yeah, the little Nestle crunch bars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, the, the little. Rice crispy chocolate ones. Peanut M and M. Those are second, and then I'm gonna go third. I'm gonna go off the radar here. I'm gonna go, um, you know, Starburst. Mm. Yeah, I can't have too much chocolate. You gotta, you oh, gotta, it's all chocolate. My list is all chocolate exclusively. Top ten it has to have chocolate in yeah. it. Yeah, but we all agree candy corn sucks. Yes. Uh, yeah, I think that was Trash. a prank. I think they were playing a prank on him because there's no way they thought he was no, gonna I, like that. I think Nick. On who? But I think Nick Foligno is extremely honest about this. Like, I. Yeah. I'm starting to question that signing because that guy loves candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also he's you know. He's... I mean, I guess like like every team's gonna have like the one like psycho in their lineup. I mean, we thought it was Trent Frederick, and yeah. now I'm thinking it's Nick Foligno. Well, yeah, he, he loves said he, candy corn. <laughs> Freddie said he doesn't eat candy corn. Um, Pasta doesn't even know what it is. What does candy? And he corn? tried to spit it out. He's yeah, like, no, don't yeah. spit it out. Um, look, look, I'm not look, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. You know, I've had candy corn before. That doesn't mean I love it. I don't necessarily. I may have spit it out before. I don't. I don't. I don't hate it. But if you have, I just don't like it. You know, if you have more than one piece, you are psychotic. My um, mom calls it decoration. Like yeah. it's a decoration, and that's it. It's just straight sugar, and it just tastes like wax. I mean, I guess it's all it's all straight sugar. It's all candy. But well, like, but if you're gonna waste your calories, you know, you you gotta waste it on something you enjoy. Yeah, I mean, like I said, back in the day for me, it was Kit, mini, Kit Kat minis, Milky Way minis, Snicker minis. Nestle Rice Krispie Minis. What about the Starburst Reese's, minis. Scott? What about the Reese's with the Reese's pieces inside it? Too much. Too Reese's? much. Yeah, you don't more crunch. Reese's. No, no need. No need to mess with the with the king. Like, you don't have to get fancy with it. Yeah. Like the same like the white chocolate Reese's. Like overthinking it. <laughs> don't don't need that. Reese's pieces themselves though, very good. Yeah, they're okay. They're okay. Um. We may have gone off the rails for a no, second. I, I, what's, I, your, what's your fashion take of the week? Ooh. Um, Usually you got something. Well, I saw I saw a tweet like a few, like last week or something like that, and it's very true. Um, it was I thought it was funny. It was it was a picture of the ghost face mask for Halloween, but it said, but it was the one with like if you squeeze the heart, like the little blood flows through like the oh. mask, and it was like if you it's like 
I think the caption was it was that picture and it said I'm this this year's old, and I thought that was hilarious because that's exactly like, I, I mean, you, you were probably in like middle school, Scott, when that, when when those were big. I was like elementary school, but like right. at, at first it was like the ghost face scream masks that everybody would go as. I think I went to scream like six years in a row, yeah. but then like one year they like went PG thirteen on our asses and like they started to add like little blood that was, that like went down the mask. Um, I mean, you're you're my age, brother. You don't remember that mask at all? No, I I remember. Yeah. I was horrified. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that would be my my fashion tip. We gotta get those those masks back in, in back in action. No, we don't. Yeah. I'm cool with it if we don't. And you guys do not wear one. Do not wear one. I'm still you guys deciding whether or not. Halloween party? Going on Halloween party? There's got I'm still no, deciding. No, I don't know. We throw on a skate pod Halloween party. <laughs> <laughs> Just the three of I've us. We got no plans as of now. So. Yeah, you, can, you, can invite, you can invite all your ninth floor friends. I know. I know who each of your friends are on the ninth floor. I know yours. <laughs> your best friend. I know, I know your best friend Scott. Um, I'm not going to go into details. Uh, but uh, no, I'm thinking about maybe bringing my um, Minnie Mouse ears. Uh, to the broadcast that I'm doing this weekend because I have a broadcast on Halloween. Ooh, nice. um, but I don't know if they'll let me wear my Minnie Mouse ears. You have Minnie Mouse ears, Scott? Uh, no, I would have had Mickey Mouse ears from way back in the day when I went uh, to Disney. Couples costume, Scott and I. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> next game. Well, yeah, you won't be at the next Bruins game. But, no. Hmm. I love Halloween. Too bad. I'm a Too big bad. Halloween buff. But I, I got to catch up on some movies. I've been rewatching Stranger Things because the fourth season comes out early next year but i've watched it like three times through but i gotta i gotta get back into it um yeah i'm just a big halloween guy i think i like the time of year better than i do the actual day because like i love i love thanksgiving day more than i like halloween day but you know what can i say i like i like the spookies anybody who knows me knows this i'm a big spooky fan which speaking of spooky you know the bruins defense has looked spooky at times so that'll be that'll be a, a horror movie at times this year with Derek forward on the top unit but Hopefully it's more Grizzly and McAvoy. Do you have an all-time favorite horror movie? Uh, I mean, I, I, I like Halloween. Pretty basic. Oh my uh, god, basic that bitch movie answer, but... scared the crap out of me when I was a kid because I didn't really understand it, and I was yeah. I re- I just I hate horror movies. <laughs> I yeah. I don't have a favorite. I I do not have. A I don't favorite. like. I don't like the gory ones. Like if, if, if like like some the, of them are just stupid. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre stuff to me that's not scary. It's just gory. Like I, I also think I, I like it's stupid because you're like, why would anyone do this? Like why, why would yeah. any of these people make these decisions and end up in the situation? Yeah, like The Exorcist yeah. is pretty. Like good. if you turn the mm. volume off of some scary movies. And you like do your own commentary. You can just tell it. It's just like okay, this is just dumb. You know, one movie I one movie I used to watch when I was younger was Signs. Oh yeah, with Mel Gibson. I thought that was pretty scary at the time. Um, I watch it back now, and it's it's not scary. I was I was so I always had a soft spot for Scream because that yes, I'm with you. Like, I was probably in. Uh, I might have actually still been like elementary school, but I, I think I saw it probably around like nine or ten years old and yeah that that like that made an impression and obviously like entered the kind of pop culture sphere like yes. it's just huge um i feel like the the scariest movie i've seen that where like i was in theaters and like legitimately like holy crap was the ring oh that movie is so overrated as far as so but it was definitely a period piece yeah you know i agree I mean? like it doesn't hold up great yeah but you know again i don't i was I don't know, early teens, maybe like even twelve. Like I probably shouldn't have seen it in a theater, yeah. but yeah, that was like that. That blew my mind the first time what, I saw it. What did you think of the Blair Witch Project when you first saw it? 
Um, scary. Yeah, that was that was a good one too. Like again, people thought it was real at the time. Yeah, so like I, is... I I saw it at, probably after that. So like I was I was aware that it wasn't real. Yeah, same. But same, it, same. it's still. But I try to watch it like I was just, just the way yeah. it's shot, and like so many movies have tried to do that since. So like the paranormal activities yeah. and stuff. Yeah. Um, I mean, look, look, if you, Scott, if you want me to be honest, you know, my favorite Halloween movies aren't the scary ones. <laughs> They're the ones on Disney Channel I grew up watching. <laughs> the Halloween Towns, Mom's Gonna Date with a Vampire. Those ones, those ones are my favorite all-timers. But if you're talking scary movies, yeah, I, I go I go Halloween probably, which I've seen it so many times it's not scary anymore. I think the only scary movie I've Jaws ever seen... Not really Halloween, no. It's not really Halloween. The People only scary this. movie I've ever seen was Disturbia. I think Jaws, in fact, takes place during the summer, if I remember correctly. Yeah, <laughs> down the Cape. Down the Cape, yep. Um, Disturbia with Shia LaBeouf. That's the only scary uh, movie I've ever seen. Yeah, that one's okay. Uh, it's more like a thriller, like... I just thought I was watching Even Stevens, an episode <laughs> of Even Stevens. With Charlotte, with Transformers. Um, so th- this could this could count as either Halloween or Christmas movie or both. But I know you're gonna say the Nightmare Before what, Christmas is an I... absolute classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I a know. phenomenal movie. Yeah. Can you, can you do you know how to sing the theme song to it? Uh, not on the spot. I'll, I'll have that for next Halloween. week. Do you know that yeah, one? Yeah. Oh yeah. Everybody scream. <laughs> uh, all right. Well, look. Um, We're off the rails. Had to get had to get some 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 Spooktober talking, obviously, because. Um, next time we speak, we'll be sing- singing uh, Over the River and Through the Woods to Grandma's House we go, because it'll be Thanksgiving season. And then just oh, wait. Oh, I know people who it's already Christmas songs. Oh, that's me. That's you. <laughs> well, not right now. No, 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 like after... November 1st. Oh, yeah. November 1st. Yes, yeah. because here's, here's, here's the problem. First of all, Halloween needs more songs like like Christmas. I mean, you, you, got, you got Ghostbusters, Monster Mash, Thriller. Hard pressed to think of another one. There was one. There was one from mm-hmm. elementary school called "Ghost of John." I don't know if you guys ever. I don't remember. Oh, this. it's a it's a spooky song. Oh, it's a spooky song. It scares spooky. <laughs> we used, we did it in music class in like third grade with like the little flutes or harmonicas, whatever. It was very eerie. I still remember it to this day. Maybe I'll maybe I'll. Get nah. your flute in here. <laughs> uh, just go on YouTube. Go on YouTube and type in "Ghost of John." It's 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 creepy. Um, but with Christmas, yeah. So like. With Christmas, here's the thing. People sit there and say, oh, Christmas songs before Thanksgiving, no chance. Okay, but then guess what? Then you're listening to them in, in, in December, and next thing you know, the holiday's come and gone. I like to enjoy the music as long as I can. That way, when the actual holiday approaches, I don't feel a ton of pressure to have to listen to the songs. I've already listened to them. I'm already singing Christmas carols in my head. Most years, I only listen the week before Christmas, the week oh, of Christmas. But then, no, but no, but this past out. year... There's so many songs. This past year was different. Like, during COVID, I, like, listened to it a lot longer than I normally would. There are so many Christmas songs out there. How can you only listen to them from... from I was emotionally listening on. to them this past year. I have, I have a lot of Christmas song takes, but we'll save those. Oh yeah, for a you, future episodes. For two months from now. You strike me as a as a Wham fan, as a Wham guy. Last uh, Christmas. No, that one's Which, fine. By the way, no, I wouldn't fault not, you for it's a phenomenal Christmas n- song. Not one of my favorites, actually, but it, it's fine. It's he loves solid. Jingle Bell Rock. Jingle Bell Rock is good. <laughs> like, do you, do you sing like the girls in um, in Mean Girls at the at the auditorium? <laughs> I uh, so I'm a sucker for the sad Christmas songs, <laughs> like Christmas shoes. Have you heard oh that song? no, please not that one. Heard, that one makes me cry. Have you heard Christmas? Have you yeah, heard Christmas shoes? No, 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 not that though. But not um, that sad. Not that's sad. Not that's, like yeah, um, it, it is. I'll true. have a blue I'm, Christmas. Oh yeah. That, wait, that's not the same song. 
No, oh, oh, this Christmas is a sad. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a good. That's a great one. I'm gonna start spreading the rumor though that that's Scott's favorite Christmas <laughs> song is Christmas Shoes. People go, what the hell is wrong with this guy? Like he just likes to sit there and cry. That's so. That's so sad. It's like when you listen to Adele. <laughs> Did you listen to the single yet? Yeah, of course. Did you listen we talked about this last yeah. week. Yeah. Oh. Well, I'll, I'll let myself out then. Um, <laughs> all right. All right. We've got plenty of holiday talk to go. Um, but for now, for now, we'll call it quits, I think. Unless there was anything else you guys wanted to get to. No. I'm too far gone at this there's point. There's like three people still listening to this. Okay. <laughs> they, they got driven off by... by... I think well, that they stuck through the candy talk and then you know what? Halloween music you know went what? off the rails. You know what? Look, look, look. If you, if you listen this far... Good for you. Um, by the way, I, I do want to say a shout out to our listeners because we have seen a spike in the in the listenership um, when we first took over the podcast. So that's great. It means you guys are listening, you're subscribing, you're liking all that good stuff. Um, hopefully, you like what you hear. Besides the holiday talk, but uh, just wanted to say we appreciate that. Obviously, we've seen yeah. that go up a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, like what was really encouraging is was we saw like kind of continue to rise through the off season and then now getting into like having that full season and you know the off season leading into it is it, just it's so much better for us and like we're glad that people are tuning in last year was tough because we kind of we started like mid-season and you know sort of like came together very quickly going into the year we weren't sure you know if it was even going to happen. We didn't even know, uh, Scott. Yeah. We didn't it even was... know who you were, Scott. Literally, yeah. literally, Bridget and I met Scott in person for the first time the first day we recorded this this uh, this podcast. And so, like, we, we resumed it after a year of it having a hiatus from when, when, when uh, Matt and Ken were doing it. So then, like, we understood that when we first did it, people are like, who is this girl, Bridget? And then who's Dumb and Dumber talking to her? <laughs> so, you know, it took some time. Um but again, you know, like Scott said, during the off season, like the uh, the expansion draft and the um, and uh, NHL draft was like a very listened to episode, um, which was great. And then uh, obviously getting going with the whole season here, you know, it's just great to um, have a more consistent podcast this year. So again, thank you for that, and just keep listening. And uh, we'll be back next week with episode sixty-seven. I do have a Bruin in mind for that, but that won't be too hard to figure out. Um, Let's just say Jack Edwards flip-flopped in the sky more times than uh, you can count. But <laughs> we'll save that for next week. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you guys later.